As crustaceans, the crab and lobster are more closely related to insects than they are to other fish. Welcome to RequestCast, the request-based podcast. I'm Lewis Powell. And I'm Ben Heaton. And today's request comes from Farron. Farron requests that Ben and Lewis do a podcast on undersea life without checking Wikipedia. Alright, I like that restriction because I feel like we read Wikipedia a bit too much on here. I feel like if this podcast were Lewis and Ben read to you from Wikipedia and then make fun of Wikipedia, it would still be a pretty good podcast. Wikipedia is ridiculous. And, uh, I like low-hanging fruit. That's where we are. <laughs> Do you know which fruits typically hang low, by the way? Uh, the easiest to eat ones? <laughs> no, what I mean, though, is, like, are there fruit types that are more likely to grow on the lower branches than on the higher branches? I mean, I guess that's really a question of, are there fruits that are typically riper further down? I don't know. I'm asking if, like, there's some way where just bananas could be officially the low-hanging fruit. The official low-hanging fruit of request cast. Bananas. <laughs> awesome. Now, bananas are not undersea life. That I know without checking Wikipedia. Yes, but you know what is? No, probably not. The deep sea banana fish. Wait, is that a real thing? Uh, probably not, but I can't check Wikipedia to confirm. <laughs> ben, I thought the strategy was going to be you say things that are technically true, but I sound incredulous and wish I could look them up. But instead, you're just making stuff up on the very first claim. Okay, fine. Undersea life. Uh, did you know that all life on Earth originated in the oceans, probably? I, uh, I think I did know that. At least I knew that it was probably true. From the humble plankton to the mighty whale, undersea is where it's at. I wish that this request had said to sound as much as possible like you're reading from a marketing manual about undersea life. <laughs> so you've decided to become an ocean life studies person. <laughs> Marine biologist? Is that the word you were looking for? <laughs> Tell me that was on purpose, that you didn't forget the name Marine Biologist. <laughs> okay, look, as it turns out, I rely a bit more on Wikipedia than I had thought. <laughs> An ocean life studies person? <laughs> this is, it's like the most famous job that nobody ever has. It's like second to architect for things that people are in movies, but not real life. Movies and Seinfeld episodes. Yeah. Well, nobody is one. It's the thing that people officially pretend to be on Seinfeld. Okay. Alright, so, undersea life. It's a lot of fish, some mammals. Name two mammals that live undersea. The whale and the dolphin. Okay. Wait, now, do they live undersea, or are they more like scuba divers who spend most of their time underwater? More like scuba divers who spend most of their time underwater. Okay, because, like, there are no mammals that can just live entirely underwater, right? Right. Whales will occasionally come up to the surface. There was a movie that I saw one time where somebody put some chemicals in a rat so that it could breathe underwater. Alright, so that rat is an example of undersea life. Well, they were on a submarine at the time, so yes. Now, that's a question. Do humans in submarines count? Uh... Bear in mind, some humans spend their entire lives in submarines. Dude, no, that's not true. I don't think that's true. Some humans spend years at a time in submarines. That is true. Okay, sure. Here's an important question. Prince Namor or Aquaman, which one's better? Aquaman is better because he has a hook for a hand. Oh, if we're going with that version of Aquaman, okay. Prince Namor has gills though, right? Yeah. 
Aquaman doesn't have gills. No, but he does have fish telepathy. But do they ever explain how he can breathe underwater? Superpowers. <laughs> so no. Well, his main superpower is the fish telepathy, which also works on the octopus, which is not a fish. Interesting. And probably a lot of other things too. Like, Does it work on whales and dolphins? I would guess so. I'm pretty sure it works on starfish because it's hard to imagine them passing up the opportunity to have him throw starfish like they're throwing stars. Why would he need a fish telepathy to throw starfish? He has to get them to come over and aid him. Maybe fish telekinesis. That would be awesome. Well, the thing is, he doesn't need that power because instead of moving a fish around, he can just ask the fish politely. <laughs> and then it will move under its own power. Yeah, I think I'd rather have fish telekinesis than fish telepathy. Because you don't care about being polite to fish, you just want to yank them around however you want. Exactly. Also, telekinesis beats telepathy in general. Telepathy is pretty good. His version of telepathy is not, like, I don't know. Well, he has the Dr. Doolittle version of telepathy, where it isn't really telepathy. It's just conversational skills? I think so. Okay. I can't look up Aquaman right now. So getting back to undersea life, let's go with non-fictional life for right now. Wait, no, hang on. I had an important question. Does Prince Namor the Submariner have any superpowers apart from the gills? He's very strong. So no. That's a power. Super strength. Is it super strength or is he just strong? It might be average strength for his Atlantean race. I don't know. Okay. Now, speaking of Atlantis, Atlantis isn't real, but you know what is? The mighty Barracuda. <laughs> now, Barracuda is uh, its a big fish with teeth, right? That's its thing. I don't know if it's that big, but it's dangerous. Okay. What's the name of the fish that has the headlight on it? Anglerfish? Okay. Yeah, those live very deep underwater. So deep that they have to make their own light. They live up to seven miles underwater. Is that how deep is water? Seven miles is very deep. Once you get deep enough, the water pressure is so great that if you were to go there, you'd be crushed instantly into a perfect sphere. That seems false. <laughs> right, it isn't instant. It takes several excruciating milliseconds. <laughs> it's also you don't get crushed into a sphere. What shape do you think you would get crushed into? Shreds. I think there are various weak points that would give from the pressure, and you'd fall into many pieces that would each then get crushed. No, there's huge pressure around. You'd get compacted into the shape with the highest surface area to volume ratio. At lowest surface area to volume ratio. Ben, I want you to imagine for a second an egg that is shaped like an hourglass. Okay. Now imagine that you apply consistent pressure to the entire periphery of this. Alright. Do you not think it will just shatter? It will shatter into a sphere. <laughs> it will shatter into a sphere? Underwater physics is not like the upland physics you may be familiar with. <laughs> okay, so, uh, let's see. Uh, they're coral reefs. Is that alive? I thought that was just, like, uh... Yeah, coral is alive, but the reef itself is made out of their dead husks or whatever. We covered this in the animal stacking episode. Is it like a ceremonial grave? They don't really have ceremony. I'm not asking if there's like a lot of pomp and circumstance. What are you asking? I'm, I'm unclear on what I'm asking. Okay, uh, seahorses. Yeah, okay, so here's a question about seahorses. That's really a question about the philosophy of biology, so bear with me. Oh, yeah, they're not technically horses. Did that answer your question? No, that wasn't even remotely my question. So they say things like, the male seahorse carries the young. Mm -hmm. So that raises the question, what is the basis for assigning genders to animals? Like, not all animals engage in sexual reproduction. Right. So it's not like every animal has to have genders. 
And, it, like, some of them have, like, the get described as hermaphroditic because they have, like, sort of both sides of it. And this just seems like we're really trying to force a model that only works well and doesn't even work that well for humans into the entire rest of the taxonomy of beings on the planet. Well, And so, like, I just, like, what is the basis for saying that it's a male seahorse? Well, with seahorses in particular, let's suppose that one sex has the sperm and the other has the eggs, and that in the act of fertilization, the sperm fertilizes the egg, and then somehow the product of that makes it back into the one with the sperm, and then it gives birth. It seems reasonable to me to say in that case that the male is giving birth. Right, but it's sort of arbitrary. You could have decided that male and female tracks which one carries the young, right? And then... You could. It's just that's a behavioral difference rather than a genetic one. Like, these are different types of gametes. Sorry, you don't think that there's a genetic determination of the behavior of the seahorse to carry the young? Well, it could be cultural. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't want to prejudge seahorse culture. I think their case would be the species where the sex chromosomes themselves work completely differently. Like, the XY thing we have in mammals is, I think, just mammals? I know birds have some weirder thing with three different types of letters. Wait, then hold on. Why wouldn't seahorses count as an instance of that? Since they are not mammals. Well, because I'm not really sure how seahorse genetics works. Or fish genetics in general. I don't know how the sexes are determined there. If only there were a useful online resource <laughs> that one could go to when one had a question like, what's some basic information about seahorse genetics? I just, I, unfortunately, I cannot think of a single website that could give us that information. And speaking of websites, how about the giant squid? These fellows have it all figured out. <laughs> Oh, the main thing I know about giant squids is that they attack submarines. And also whales. Whales attack submarines? Possibly, but I meant that giant squid attack whales. A lot of our information about the biggest of the giant squid come from marks on the bodies of dead whales that come up to the surface. Interesting. Is that true? Probably. <laughs> what? Ben. I'm pretty sure it's true, but I cannot at the moment verify. Ugh. In fact, nobody has ever seen the biggest of all giant squid. They haven't? It's hard to say, since, I mean, how would you determine that? But you said it, that's the thing. Then yes, it's true. Okay. There are over seven different species of whale, each one bigger than the last. Well, that's... Does that technically only rule out the case where there are ties for how big the species of whale are? Yes. Okay. I like that even though it sounded like it was completely meaningless, it in fact did rule out some possibilities. <laughs> oh, here's an interesting fact about undersea life. The killer whale is not technically a whale. Or a killer. Most things that live underwater are killers. Ben, I think we need to talk about your prejudice. By the way, here's a fun fact for anybody who was considering swimming in the ocean. Did you know that of all the animals that have ever lived on Earth, most of them died in the ocean and are still there? I feel like I shouldn't follow everything you say with, is that true? But I also feel like I need to. Is that true? I think most of the things that have ever lived died in the ocean. I don't think their bodies are still there. Okay. Most of them were rotted away millennia ago. Yeah. So, coelacanth, that's a thing, right? Coelacanth? Coelacanth, the living fossil. Long thought to be extinct, the coelacanth was recently rediscovered. Did you- are you looking this up on Wikipedia? No. Why are you talking like you're reading it on Wikipedia? Because that makes it sound educational. Were there any undersea dinosaurs? I think that's one of those areas where it depends a bit on where you draw the boundary on dinosaurs. Aquatosaurus rex, perhaps? Uh, there are ichthyosaurs. I don't know if that's a true dinosaur. Yeah, okay, fair enough. There are also sharks, which have been around since the time of the dinosaurs. 
That's not true, because sharks do not have that kind of lifespan. Sharks as a group. I remember having heard that they've barely changed at all in many millions of years. I'm not sure how true that is, though. There are a lot of different species of sharks now. As many as 12. I would guess at least 50. And they're not all the giant killers you may know from the movies. Some sharks are only about a foot long at their biggest. Wow. Where can I meet these sharks? Anywhere there's water, Lewis. <laughs> Alright, we're going to turn this into an infomercial now <laughs> for sharks, I guess. I'm running low on shark facts. No, you have all those t facts about shark teeth? They fall out and they grow back or whatever? Or they have like 40 rows of teeth or something? Remember losing your baby teeth? If you were a shark, that would be happening to you constantly, and you wouldn't even care. Yeah, sharks are notoriously apathetic. Fun fact, if a shark ever stops swimming, it dies. Ben, don't you hate when you're in the water, and you want to, I don't know, for example, make a pun about a fish that has a head that looks like a hammer, and you can't do it. You can't do it because there's no fish around that have heads like hammers. What would you say if I told you? That for a limited time, this hammerhead shark could be yours for the low, low cost of three easy payments of five ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah, the odd thing about them is that they don't look that much like hammers. Now I know what you're saying, Ben. You're saying, how do I know that this isn't a scam? How do I know that I won't put down my three payments of five ninety nine ninety nine and get an unusable hammerhead shark? Well, I'll tell you how you know, Ben. You know because we will kick in three extra sharks at no additional cost to you. A great white, an okay white, and a meh white. <laughs> Those are all types of sharks, right? Sort of? Kind of? I mean, that was one type of shark and two sort of plays on its name. <laughs> Surprisingly, Ben, those three species of shark were named independently. <laughs> There's the whale shark, which is a shark and not a whale. That's like when you had the crayons when you were little, and there was the one that was called green-yellow, and it was not very green at all. And then there was the one called yellow-green, and it was not even a little bit yellow. It was kind of yellow. It's a yellowish green. No, it was a green that was slightly closer to yellow than other greens are, but it did not actually have any yellow in it. I don't know how it gets closer to yellow without having any yellow in it. I don't think that's how pigmentation works. <sighs> By the way, most deep-sea fish do not have exciting colors at all, because it's too dark for them to need them. That's a weird... Like, I guess that assumes that all exciting colors take, like, some work to get. They might. Wouldn't it be neat if they had no color, because they didn't need them? Like, they were all transparent? I think some of them are. Like jellyfish? That's undersea life. Yeah. Jellyfish is not actually made out of jelly interestingly. And they're not actually fish. Some marine life studies people say that we should call them sea jellies instead of jellyfish. Crabs and lobsters are underwater life, right? They are. They also look like insect aliens from outer space. You're more right than you know, Lewis. As crustaceans, the crab and lobster are more closely related to insects than they are to other fish. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that they were actually from outer space. <laughs> Little known fact, Crabs arrived on a spaceship from Alpha Centauri some 6,000 years ago. From the Crab Nebula. Oh, Ben, you are so lucky you are not within punching distance. <laughs> I think that was better than the okay white shark bit. <laughs> Let me tell you why I'm glad you said that just now. Because it means that you will have a dickens of a time editing so that you cut out my earlier bit. That's going to have to get in there, otherwise people will have no idea what you're referring to. <laughs> I'm just going to cut out all of this. This will be a two-minute episode. <laughs>
Welcome to RequestCast. That's all the time we have today. Uh, we already did that once, didn't we? Yeah, uh, twice. Anime and Just a Minute. Right. <laughs> Which we totally misinterpreted. That was amazing. Yeah, well, we have a new request for the actual version of it, which we'll have to do at some point. Yeah, it was awesome, because you even said, is this like a reference to something? And I was like, I don't think so. I think they just want us to do a really short one. And we didn't bother to check. <laughs> Why would we bother to check? Oh, I just thought of another interesting undersea life fact. Lewis, you know how, as land dwellers, we get our energy from food that ultimately gets its energy from the sun. That's the case for most living things on Earth. Well, not most, because you said most of them live underwater, and they get their food from the geothermal heat escaping from the portal between our world and the world where the kaiju live. <laughs> Since I can't use Wikipedia, I have to rely on my knowledge of Pacific Rim. Yeah, that is, in fact, mostly accurate. Are there any types of undersea life that we haven't covered yet? What about the gentle lily pad? It's on the surface of the water. What about the gentle seaweed? Seaweed, also known as kelp or algae, comprises 80% of Earth's biomass. Really? Maybe? I thought like factory farm chickens were 80% of Earth's biomass. Yeah, uh, actually it probably doesn't comprise very much of Earth's biomass at all. Yeah. Uh, but it sure is good in sushi, right, Lewis? Yes, I especially like when they use it to wrap the sushi with a seaweed wrapper. Speaking of fish, are you familiar with the Vermont-based jam band Fish? Do they live underwater? Uh, it's hard to say. No one can know for sure. Some people have long suspected that the Loch Ness Monster is under sea life. Others suspect that the Loch Ness Monster lives in the sky. <laughs> no, see, the real problem with the thesis that the Loch Ness Monster is under sea life is that the Loch, Loch Ness, is not, in fact, a sea. Right, it is a loch, which is Scottish for lake. Is that what it is? I think it's a particular type of lake. The type you get in Scotland. Like, would they not, in Scottish, call Lake Michigan a loch? No, Lake Michigan is much too big to be a loch. Interesting. How come so many fish are named after land animals? Well, because as humans, we discovered the land animals first, and had to use them as analogies to make sense of what we found in the ocean's briny deeps. That's not entirely true, because, like, carp is not, like... It's not like there's a land animal called a carp, and then we call that one the carp fish or something. No, but it's true for most of them. Like the lionfish, the zebrafish, the goldfish. Is the goldfish named after the land animal gold? It's named after land animals that were touched by King Midas. <laughs> okay, on that note, I think people will agree that when we use Wikipedia and are thus inspired to make fun of things that are more interesting than our random speculation, it works better. I think it works better when we just have to try to remember how undersea life works. I think we've all learned a lot today about what we know about undersea life. Yeah, if this episode does one thing, it establishes pretty clearly that I don't know anything about marine biology, or as you call it... Under Ocean Life Studies? Was that what it was called? Yeah. I think it establishes that I know a mix of true and false things, and I do not keep those separate in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it is revealing to me that you have one box labeled things that I should say about <laughs> fish, and then you don't worry whether the item in the box is in the box because it's a, a lie, or an interesting truth, or neither of the above. I don't sweat the details. <laughs> Did you know that fish have no sweat glands? Much like the common dog. When they sleep, do they like, do they have a way to anchor themselves in place? 
Well, there's no in place if you're in the water. What do you mean? You'd get swept along by the movements of the water. Well, that's what I'm asking. Is like, do they have a way to, like, anchor themselves? What would they be anchoring to? I don't know. The seabed? Oh, like if they're down at the bottom of the ocean? Sure. Most fish do not live on the ocean floor. Well, okay. But you know what I'm asking. Like, they swim around. There are miles of ocean underneath them. What I'm asking is whether there's like a, if a fish slept swam, sleep swam, would that be worrisome the way it is when a human sleepwalks? I don't think so. I think it's the normal thing they do while they're sleeping. Okay. So join us next time. We'll see you next time. Dorsal for our show. Like dorsal? Like a dorsal fin? Uh, <laughs> that's a whale of a tail. <laughs> so tuna in next time when we're something. Underwater. <laughs> when we're something catfish, oyster, sea slug, horseshoe crab. There we go. Nice. Requestcast is powered by the requests of listeners like you. You can send us your requests on the web at requestcast.com.